0: This is the Business Breakfast with Oanda on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers. Let's join Craig Earlham, who's market analyst at Oanda. Um, since we last spoke, um, a lot of talk about negative interest rates in the UK, but we'll come on to that when we have a look at sterling. First of all, let's get your take on stock markets recovering a little overnight because of uh, this coronavirus vaccine news um it, it's i'm guessing hope rather than experience i did read something quite interesting over the weekend which at least i thought was interesting which is that people are um as i've often you know wondered what is it about the stock markets you know outperforming what's really going on in the world of course the the answer is that stock markets are interested in The way things go up or the way things go down, not in actually basic levels of things, if you see what I mean. So it's the rate of increase. That's why we get increased interest. And that's presumably what's happened overnight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And they're also interested in what the future holds rather than the situation we're necessarily facing Mm. now. If you've got an economy that's easing lockdown restrictions, uh, a global economy that's easing lockdown restrictions, you have uh, a potential vaccine uh, and we are making advances in various uh, areas such as that then all of a sudden you're now not pricing in quite the the drastic um, slump that you were previously pricing in. You're pricing in something slightly better. And we also have to uh, uh, weigh in there as well that we are also pricing in an awful lot of stimulus from around the world. Central banks uh, printing unprecedented amounts of money. The Federal Reserve in the US, the Bank of Japan, um, Q- have adopted QE infinity, so unlimited bond buying. Uh, The Bank of England has increased its bond buying by 50%. So obviously, when you're seeing this amount of money being pumped into the system, it it is going to naturally inflate markets. We saw that uh, over the course of the last decade, and we're seeing it once again now to uh, a certain extent. But obviously, the latest rally that we have seen, the strong start to the week that we have seen, has been reflected in oil prices as well. And I do think that has a lot to do with the economic reopening and the potential that the uh, the reopening could be accelerated should we find uh, a vaccine. And that was uh, really good news that we had yesterday.
0: Reshaping the UK economy will happen um, at the moment, perhaps an un- 2 million unemployed, possibly, uh, and two thirds of people saying at the moment that they will work um, one day a week. Ironic, isn't it, that uh, the cranes over the City of London and office, offices being built, which
1: presumably now won't be needed. Well, you would think, but then I guess we still are kind of walking into the abyss of it. We don't really know exactly um, what we're going to be talking about a year from now. We're all making assumptions based on our current livelihoods and how we currently work and function. But we don't know in 12 months' time if there is a vaccine and if people feel safe to travel in whether people will necessarily be working from home a lot more or not. Uh, you've just alluded to people be willing to work from home one day a week. Whether that will change the office structures is a different question altogether. I think we'd have to have a, a more fundamental shift for that to happen. I do think the the best thing that's going to come out of this from a work perspective is going to be flexibility, the ability for people to work from home if they should choose to, and one day a week, two days a week, maybe even more. So then we'll have to uh, analyse what kind of an impact that does have on uh, office structures uh, but it 's really difficult to say right now, because, like I say, we are oper- operating in, a, in, in in a huge cloud of uncertainty. I think the future is is harder to predict than um, than I can think of for a long long time we need to
0: talk about restructuring and continue with Europe itself now and uh, the possibility of germany and well the the certainty of Germany and France actually proposing a five hundred billion euro recovery fund. <clears throat> I suspect that Germany and France will not be very happy about propping up the what they would regard as the more profligate European states. But this is a different kind of recovery fund, isn't it, which is actually sucking on the capital markets.
1: So this is uh, corona bonds in all but name, effectively. This is going to be raised by the European Commission. This is going to be part of the European budget and it's going to be money that's going to be spent now but repaid over a, a, long, a large number of years. Obviously, this is a a real sore point for many European nations. It seems that for a long time, Germany has been the leader of a group of nations, including the Netherlands, Austria, uh, etc., who have not wanted to be responsible for funding those who they believe have been more reckless in the past, who have higher debt loads and are more fiscally responsible. France has very much been at the forefront of those, and Italy as well, of those who believe that if you want to be part of a project like the EU or like the euro area then debt sharing is something that should be very much a part of that. And especially at a time when we are engulfed in a crisis that is not of the making of many of these poorer nations who once again seem to have been those that have been the hardest hit. The fact that this latest fund uh, is is based on grants rather than loans uh, is a huge step forward. The difficulty we have, though, is that we have... France and Germany on board, we don't yet have the, the other um, countries like the Netherlands, Austria on board at this moment in time and the early warning signs are that they are very much opposed uh, to it. So there's still a long way to go but I think this is a, a really huge important step forward to get Germany on board uh, of this obviously this is a 500 billion euro fund the US has approved three trillion dollars worth of funding in that time you could argue that this is nowhere near enough to actually address the problems but we've got to remember that Germany uh, that the, the EU is not the US it's uh, many years behind as far as uh, this the, the, the project is concerned when, so this when, is a when massive you said important it's a, step forward yeah what when
0: you said it's a grant, not a loan, you were alluding presumably to what happened, for example, with Greece, you know, all those years ago, when that was a loan. <clears throat> and uh, they're still living um, in, in the shadow of repaying that, Was this is a grant. In other words, it'll just be given.
1: Exactly. This is part of the European budget. So this is money that will be spent in the countries, uh, or at least yeah. proposed to be a grant, that money that will be spent in the countries that won't need to be repaid. The importance of that is you're not adding an additional debt burden to countries who can't afford to do so. Italy's debt to GDP was a prior to this crisis. It's now predicted to be closer to 160%. This is an unsustainable level of debt. So by providing these funds to enable the country to recover uh, with many others, then you are giving them the benefits of, of the support of this European project without the burden of having to carry the debt and the risks that come with that, whether that be sovereign debt downgrades, higher interest rate payments, and the ability to effectively never fiscally recover.
0: Two more attempts to freeze out China as we recalibrate our relationship, or rather, non Chinese countries recalibrate their relationship with it. First of all, Huawei apparently says it's fighting for its life because it's being excluded from the global supply chains for semiconductors, number one. And number two, the NASDAQ in the United States is apparently going to tighten its listing rules to restrict. Chinese IPOs. I mean, all this is very well, and there's a lot of shouting going on, no doubt, and the blame game, etc., the reality is we have to learn to live with what is probably the biggest economy in the world, don't
1: we? Yeah, I mean, th- this is going to be really interesting developments because it's for, for the first time, it doesn't seem to just be the US which is asking very big questions uh, with regards to China. We're used to this from the Trump uh, administration, but it is there are other countries that are now asking very important questions uh, in respect to China and even to an extent the WHO. Of course, these are efforts that are being led by the US, so you'll have to take that into consideration. They have always been far more hawkish under the Trump administration and they are also in an election year uh, at a time when nearly 100,000 people have died of the coronavirus. So it's very important as far as Trump is concerned to ensure that the, the, the fault is not placed on his doorstep. So that probably has something to do as well with the the. the the response that we are seeing there, and the seriousness with which they are uh, taking it, but it, we are also now going into a period of, to likelihood anyway, going into a period of deglobalization, where people, where companies are going to be addressing the supply chains and deciding whether the expansion of the supply chain in order to save cost is actually uh, in the best interest. That's not to say we're going to see a complete unwinding of the efforts over the last few decades, but we may see a slight, um, a slight rejig uh, as far as companies are concerned, and given that. China is the world's largest exporter, and a lot of uh, a lot of business has been as moved to China over these years. You think that they therefore stand the most to lose? Greg Ellum, thank you very much indeed.
0: This is the Business Breakfast with Owanda
1: on Jazz FM. Online trading, currency data, money transfers.